Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, Big Tongue Doll. <laughs> and joining us today via Skype, she's a YouTube producer, freelance writer, also a frequent contributor to the evolution of horror, yeah. it's Louise Blaine. Louise, hello. Hello, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? I am very well and excited. So excited to talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, hell of a selection. Back to 2007 for James Wan and Lee Winnell's Dead Silence. Uh, why this one? Why Dead Silence? Yeah. <laughs> well, because so everyone likes being creeped out by ventriloquist dummies mm-hmm. and everyone likes a good ghost story. And at that point, 2007, Lee Wannell and James Wan, they'd just made Saw a couple of years before and suddenly they were just given a, probably a ridiculous amount of money to make their next horror film. And we'll probably go into it a bit later on that they weren't entirely you know, happy with it at the end. But the product of it is this super crunky ghost train full of <laughs> loads of smoke and mist and ventriloquist dummies and you know, Donnie Wahlberg being terrible with a razor. And it, it's just like, <laughs> I don't know, there's something there's something like quite innocent and sweet about it that I think if Blumhouse made it now, more people would like it. Okay. Yeah, there's maybe, there's maybe truth to that. Okay. Um, now, can I just ask that we've all got our uh, Wanniverse bingo cards in front of us here because uh, this film <laughs> ticks every single box uh, from... <laughs> It's a James Wan uh, cliche factory. It's a walking, it's a walking. <laughs> Do you know, I actually, I was really lucky. I spoke to James Wan for the junkets for The Conjuring 2, oh, which yeah. I really, oh, which I really don't like, but I really did. I'd seen The Conjuring 2 the day before and you have to kind of pretend that you really like it to oh, them. Oh, yes. And what I wanted to say was, but I, I, this was fine, but I really like Dead Silence. And that he just got this light in his eyes that he's like, yeah, like Dead Silence was like an old school, ridiculous hammery thing. And he looked like an excited kid about it. And it is a big, it is as if someone gave, you know, a horror director quite a lot of money and he didn't really have much time. And that's what he came up with. But yeah, <laughs> like there's endless, like it get, when you realize it becomes obsessed with these kind of shots of like someone arriving center screen. Camera goes from floor to ceiling over and over and over again, and you're just like, okay, I understand, I understand. This is what you want to do. Fine. Yeah, um, we can get into it, but I actually said, I, I when I arrived here, Andy was just finishing off his uh, his viewing of it for this, uh-huh. and I think so much of this film, like genuinely, possibly thirty to thirty five percent of it, is just the main character traveling to places. Yes, in a red in such. Such a red car. Such a red car. <laughs> the reddest of red cars. Be that red? <laughs> it's because it's, it's so it stands out against the darkness which permeates every single shot. Yeah. The endless blue. <laughs> <laughs> right, Louise, my understanding is that you've possibly heard the show before, so you might know what we're about to do. So, there is the vague possibility that people will be listening to this that haven't watched Dead Silence and may God have mercy on their souls. For their benefit, if Andy puts 30 seconds on the clock and I count you in, would you be willing to have a go at giving your best 30-second synopsis of this film? Absolutely. Okay, 
Louise, three, two, one, go. Man has wife. Wife is, you know, they're having a lovely date time. And then suddenly a ventriloquist dummy arrives at the door. He goes out to get some Chinese takeaway. She winds up dead. He ends up going back to his hometown where it turns out there's a creepy myth about ghosts and ventriloquist dummies. And ventriloquist dummying ensues. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, succinct and apt. Yeah, yeah. I think nine seconds left there. Good. Oh, wow. Well nice. counted, Good. Mitch. Yeah. yeah. Excellent yeah. work. Spot on. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, let's get into it. But I want to preface this by saying that I watched the unrated cut for this. As did I. Ah, excellent. Okay. I, um, I watched I those bonus three minutes. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice them anywhere. <laughs> I don't know which version I watched, but I'm going to predict now that the three minutes were on the intro credits. <laughs> The credits, it's the longest credit sequence I've ever seen. I can't, oh guys, come on. The, the credit sequence, I actually like. It's <laughs> up there with, like, House on Haunted Hill with me for those, like, ridiculous kind of, this is creepy, look how creepy we're being, always being so creepy. We've got some really terrible music that says, that screams the early noughties. Yeah. I was and, actually... Um, I was actually writing uh, just uh, a montage of creepy stuff and weirdness, um, and then Charlie Clouser's theme kicks in for this yes. film, and uh, my head snapped up. I was like, "My God, that's so close to the theme from Saw." So theme, it's so cl- it's basically the same. <laughs> it's basically the same, especially with the. We're obviously not. We will talk about spoilers later, but the third act. I mean, I, I mean that that theme's basically exactly the same. <laughs> Aye, it's 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 not like a it's not like a copy and paste job, but you know if you, if you could see yourself for copyright infringement, <laughs> that would be it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, what I would say is I quite like I always like this. Um, we lessen word derivations at the start. <laughs> um, about the uh, the spirits of dead people speaking through their stomachs to the living from yes. the Latin venter for belly and uh, Loki to speak. Ventriloquist. Thanks much. Like that very much. No, I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, opening credits. I quite like the look of them. Quite like quite like the feel of them. Just think there's an awful lot of them. There is a lot of them. Yeah, yeah it, it could have done with half the length, but it does that kind of thing of you need to know that it's mad and creepy because there's drawings. It's almost like <laughs> diagrams just mean threat. <laughs> yeah, creepy sketches. So we get it's a fairly kind of standard uh, young film couple whimsy to lead us in here, I think, between uh, Lisa, played here by Laura Regan, and uh, Ryan Quantin as Jamie. Did you finish what the three minutes were? Oh, I did you identify them? I, I, I have a bulleted list, but um, there's quite a, it's actually like it's fanned out over quite a lot of it. Ah, right, okay. So I might just touch on them as they arise. Right, sure. Yeah, so uh, what do we think of these two? <laughs> I think two-dimensional is probably the word, but yeah. I will say I really like the. There's these sort of wanisms, which are those cuts from the very opening from the credits to the eye down to mm-hmm. the pipe, with the water that comes down the pipe and goes into Ryan Quanton's eye, and you can kind of feel these little wanisms, which obviously became much better later in his career. I appreciate these extra sprinklings, but yeah, as a as a couple, they are rather scant on character i think that's fair yeah lisa especially obviously she's not going to be around for long but uh, i feel like her main obsession is chinese food at this point that's all her dialogue kind of revolves around when am i getting my chinese food can i get it now is it coming yet when are you going to get it have you dialed those seven numbers yeah (laughs) yeah she is just obsessed with chinese food yeah she's micromanaging every step in the process Yeah, but no sooner uh, does the Chinese feed chat come and go. They are posted immediately, um, a mystery package that turns out to be a a fairly creepy doll. Fairly? I mean, what really, as we'll talk about as it kind of continues, is the weird thing happens is that 
Ryan Quentin's character uh, looks at the doll and has no understanding of this doll. It's like, hmm, this is weird. But as he progresses through the story, it's like his character automatically learns his past. And he goes, <laughs> actually, it means death. <laughs> like, oh, why, didn't, why didn't you just kick it out the door to start with? Yeah. Instead, you left it with your girlfriend. Like, or you left it with your wife, even though you knew you actually knew the poem. You knew your town wouldn't talk about it. You knew all of these things, and yet you still went to get food. I mean, I don't when, know whether that means he's the best husband or the worst. Everyone like when you put it like that. He is extremely laid back at the arrival of this doll. Yeah. Like if that came to my door tomorrow, it would be in the fire. No one ever reacts badly to creepy dolls in movies. Like Annabelle, they're like, before it obviously ends up in a glass case, everyone's like, oh, lovely, I've always wanted this. Let's put it on a shelf. It's like, can do you see the same doll that we do? Yeah. Does no, one, does no one ever look at a creepy doll and go, well, that's horrid. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, dead silence, miles ahead of Annabelle. Yes, well, miles ahead of the... F- yes, ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a massive Citizen Kane compared to that first Annabelle movie. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've got some issues with Dead Silence, which we'll get to, but what I will say is it is comfortably a better film than Annabelle. Oh, definitely is. Maybe not Annabelle Creation. I liked Annabelle Creation. I still haven't seen that. Uh, it's uh, David F. Sandberg, wasn't it? Yeah, Sandberg's yeah. made a good creepy doll. I mean, it's, again, it's like all the things you tick through. Creepy scarecrow, creepy dolls, all the rest of it. But it works much better <laughs> than the original. <laughs> yeah, I, you're right, though. It's like no one is ever outwardly repulsed by a creepy doll, regardless of how creepy they are on first look. And they're the same here. They kind of treat the whole thing with a very weird passivity, given their knowledge of the local legends and stuff like that. And it's actually yeah. it's actually the wife that no seems to... She's the first one to bring up the oh, yeah. Mary Shaw myth and the rhyme and stuff. Surely she he would know. She knows the poem. Yeah. That's right, it's her, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it would be better if, if, like, if she hadn't known about the idea, if she'd maybe been from out of town, then it might have been slightly more convincing. But no, not convincing at all. I'm, I mean, I'm still on side of it. I can't believe I'm still on side of this movie after knowing exactly how bad it is. But here I am in defence <laughs> so, of so, this first scene. <laughs> so many of the best chats we have are people with that kind of attitude to a film, though, where they love it for reasons they can't really quantify and they're very aware of its flaws. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like uh, as you said, uh, Andy, Lisa, not long for this world. No, um, but despite receiving a mystery, terrifying doll in the mail... Uh, she puts it on her bed. Not in the cupboard, where it would certainly go... In fact, it would just go probably outside the door. But it certainly wouldn't go on my bed. No, because she thinks she's going to scare him with it, doesn't she? Yeah, that's right. She's plotting a wee jump scare as uh, she's waiting for Chinese food, which she will sadly never eat. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real Unfinished tragedy. Unfinished chow mein. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's, the, that's the real tragedy of this film. Um, and dropping while well, she's there, she's dropping seeds of twists to come that were yes. that we've already telegraphed miles in advance. Yes, the last Ashen is not him. Yeah, quite right. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, you get the she kind of she puts a, a jumper up her shirt and doesn't and kind of like imagines what it would be like to be pregnant in the mirror. Yeah, so that yeah, they see that like they see that pretty early in a way that I until it resurfaces, I had completely forgotten about. But yeah, you got she's kind of plotting a wee jump scare. <laughs> yeah. On him. yeah that doesn't quite go to plan but it is also the first of innumerable times in this film where something has a sheet over it oh my god <laughs> especially... well, that's another that's if you've got your your uh, james one bingo card that's one of them definitely 100 percent. well by this point we've also got extremely loud clocks creepy children's laughter such clocks <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Whistling kettles. Yeah, honestly, it's it's amazing. But I will say, I do like the kind of like sucking out of the audio. I found that I was watching it again today on the on the train, and I had my headphones in, and I quite like what it does audio wise. And then that's kind of a returning theme throughout that somehow like audio is sucked out of your ears and only certain things are sort of put yeah. back in. Kind of yeah. like that. I do, but I feel like it telegraphs anytime anything's going to happen. Yeah, it's, li- it's remarkably a horror film that has actually no scares in it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I think this is a big part of the reason why, because as soon as it does that, you're like, oh, here we go again. Like The fifth, sixth time it happens, you're like, right, yeah. this is this film's device to make us know that something scary's going to happen rather than let it happen organically. See, I also, yeah. I also watched this on train, curiously, and I don't know if I would have clocked it because of that, but um, I had subtitles on, mm-hmm. and every time that that happened, the subtitles said, ambient noise disappears, and I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's even worse. I was going to say, that, which, is, which is not the film's fault at all, but I did also when the moment was like, oh, mm-hmm, yep, here we it's go. Also, it is also what our brains say when it happens, oh, the ambient noise is gone. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, what happened to that ambient noise? I missed the ambient noise. <laughs> <laughs> Take me back. So Lisa gets attacked here. She does. Why is there the sound of knives slashing? <laughs> oh, yeah, when she's... <laughs> there is. As if... I mean, also, what is the sound of knives? Really? I mean, what are those knives interacting with to make the slashing? Because there was no... not There was nothing coming through that sheet. No, it's a no. Very odd, it's a, it is actually a very odd sound effect. But it's for her tongue, right? Y- yeah, which we're presuming is just torn out in, all, yeah, in every case. Yeah, she has to scream... Yeah. 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 The, the the knife scraping against knife when there's nothing for a knife to scrape against thing happens all the time, doesn't it? Mostly, yeah, it does. like like a lot of the time when people are pulling a knife out her, of a wooden block. Her fillings? Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, that oh. actually sent oh. a shiver down my back when I said it. I have such, I have such teeth issues. Like, oh, I, uh, horror films and teeth, it's terrible. Because you love horror and then suddenly you're watching a, a movie like... Are you afraid of the dark? And it's the opening credits is like raining molars, and you're just like, great, <laughs> this is my own private hell. Uh, yeah. yeah, untimely end for Lisa though. Yeah. Yes, God. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. Lisa. Tongue ripped out, but yeah, again. Got to say, I love that. I love all the tongue ripped out, mouth open thing all the way through. I think it's pretty cool and pretty effective. Yeah, it is. And that's it really my, is. That's my two cents. Uh, no, I, I, I really like it too. And it's the, yeah, it's the first of a few of these that we'll see. But yeah, um. She's gone, uh, the investigation begins, and enter the film's central enigma, Donnie Wahlberg. Oh no, he, uh, Jamie comes home first with the Chinese. Oh, of course. And the rose. The uh, rose. Yeah. Oh. And oh, the God. rose. Don't forget the rose. And because young love. Yeah, he assumes he's taking a trip to the bone zone with his Chinese and his rose in tow, and uh, he finds a scene that is, quite frankly, horrifying. Once he pulls the sheet back, yeah. Yeah, very ringy. As well, very they? ringy, super Japanese. Yeah. All the open mouth frozen stuff, which I really like. Yeah, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into that. I, I like that. As you were saying, like I like the whole tongue ripping, the sort of the imagery of what's left, and the whole idea of voices and vocal cords and ventriloquist dummies, like all wrapped into one messy tongue thing. I like mm. it. Yeah, um, if anything's going to suck the lead out your pencil, it's going to be this scene. Um, um, so I can imagine. Uh, that thought disappeared quite quickly from his mind. <laughs> um, yeah, I th- uh, one thing that, again, it's something that recurs, and it, when it comes back later on some of the time, it doesn't work as well for me as it does here. Mm-hmm. But uh, when her voice shouts him upstairs... Oh, yeah, that's that's cool. 
That's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's a really cool idea. Like I said, I don't, I don't know if the film always gets its usage spot on, but I think pretty much everything about him coming home and finding her and the visual of it is uh, is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, enter Donnie Wahlberg at this point as Jeez. Detective Lipton here. Donnie Wahlberg's straight off on this. He's terrible. <laughs> There's no free. There's. I mean, I'm not in defence of Wahlberg here at all. I mean, who? Who? They've clearly. I didn't actually manage to read Lee Wannell's blog, which was written in 2011 about how much he hated the end product. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. But some of the highlights of it included people sort of replying saying, "Yeah, I really hated the razor thing too," and the fact that he, the guy just constantly shaves. I think they said just give him a character quirk, and they just seem to pull that one out of the ether somehow. Right. That because because yeah because he's yeah he's he's constantly like shaving his neck, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so he seem, bizarre. He seems to have loads of them that they're trying out because the, the first thing you see him, he's eating a donut and. So he is. Uh, he is extremely sarcastic. That could have been a. That could have been it. I don't know why they had mm-hmm. to add this weird razor thing. And I, I kept thinking, where's this razor thing going? And it goes nowhere. Zero. Absolutely nowhere. We yeah. even get a shot of his razor later. Sadly, buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> buzzing forever. Yeah. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? Um, uh, Jamie is uh, apparently uh, the uh, public enemy number one, top right. of the suspects list for you. No, no, no. <laughs> this man has a stone cold alibi. Yep. Iron, a fucking ironclad alibi for his whereabouts at the time of this murder. He will be on multiple CCTV cameras. He'll have, he'll have receipts. He'll have been seen in restaurants. They might even know him quite well because this woman. Chinese food crazy. Habit, um, yep. Yeah, and you go, you always go to the same place. If you've got a good Chinese place, you always go. Definitely. Um, and uh, yeah, there's no way this guy is the prime suspect. And if he's tr- to be treated the way he's treated by Donnie Wahlberg is outrageous. It's also the fact that on top of that, the woman telling him what was wrong with the what was wrong with the wife. It's like her face. I've never seen anything like her face. And then it cut. And it's like, what was wrong with her face? Tell us about her face. Tell us your scientific garbage around what has happened to her face. <laughs> She's she a dead big mouth. Um, I think that the points about the alibi hold up. I think that what we're not considering here is that uh, Donnie Wahlberg is playing a detective who is quite bad at his job. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yes. He's good at playing a detective who's bad at his job and really irritating. Then, yeah. okay, yep. <laughs> Yeah, if that was the target, he's nailing it. He succeeded, yep. Jamie starts defending himself oh in Wahlberg's office by bringing up the doll and the local legend and instantly sounds like a crazy person. I, this is, I think, the first instance where I screamed with laughter. And it's at the point when he says something like, oh, in the town where I come from, if you get a dummy delivered to your house, it's a bad omen. Where in the world would that be a good omen? Like, that's a fucking terrifying <laughs> thing to get. But you can just imagine someone opening it door going, yeah, the ventriloquist dummy's here. The party can start. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Unless you physically order that yourself, there is no way that coming to your door isn't <laughs> fucking terrifying. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, he uh, he reels off the particulars of um, this kind of local legend in a way that feels way more like an exposition dump than a credible defence. Um, what's also really annoying is he talks about, oh yeah, the creepy doll. You've talked about the creepy doll before. And then they leave 
they've obviously left the creepy doll in the flat. Oh, I. But mm-hmm. if it was so important as evidence, why didn't they take it with them? That doll would yes. 100% be in a plastic bag. Yeah. Yeah, because it's presumably covered in blood at this point, this kind of thing. It would definitely have yeah, been... Yeah, you'd have thought so. Yeah, it would have been taken, you'd it think. It looked okay, in fairness, when, when it's lying on the floor. Well, Jimmy heads back, and he checks the interior of the box, starts investigating, because he gets let go for lack of evidence. Heads home, starts his investigation, looks in the lining of the box, finds an advert for Mary Shaw and Billy, which I think... Stop. <laughs> right, a couple of things here, right... <laughs> Why was the message, like, on the inside lid of the box, under the lining? Why did he have to peel that away? Right. Uh-huh. Weird in and of itself. Why, when he saw that it had Mary Shaw's name on the box, did he not burn the doll immediately? Yep. It's fucking nonsense. Instead of just taking it places and propping it up with him and treating it like a little human and having it, like, fastened into the front seat of his car. <laughs> I said... I said this to Andy earlier on. It's so weird that the doll just follows him wherever he goes like a security blanket. Oh, let's take this creepy doll that's definitely not caused the murder of my wife. Come with me, friend. Yeah. It would be locked support. in a fucking suitcase. Yep. Um, also, um, I also have concluded that considering you wrote both films, I've concluded that Lee Winnell either is not very good at thinking of puppet names or thinks that all puppets in the world are called Billy. They're all called Billy. <laughs> Every single one. Just easier. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the jigsaw as Billy was in there somewhere. I didn't catch a glimpse of it, but apparently it's hiding. I think, I think he's in the big uh, display case scene towards okay. the end. All right, okay. I, I was, annoyingly, I was looking for him and didn't see him. Yeah, neither did I. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, which, which I'm kind of annoyed by. Jamie goes here to see the next stage of inv- his investigation brings him to visiting his uh, father and stepmother, Ella. And Raven's fair. <laughs> Yes. Also, says Raven's Fair on the box, says Mary, Mary Shaw on the box, says Billy the Puppet on the box. He is in no way perturbed or surprised by any of these revelations. He just takes them on with a kind of slack-jawed acceptance. Yeah, and then just drives through multiple stylized signs. Every every cut, one cannot resist having people, you know, the zoom in of the Raven's Fair sign with, again, yet another drone shot of his red car <laughs> questing places. <laughs> It's as if he saw the opening sequence of The Shining and was like, I can make a whole movie out of this. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, so what, the first of what is many travel montages. And um, yeah, he goes to see his dad who is wheelchair bound. Um, Bob Gunton. Yes, Bob Gunton. Wheelchair bound after a recent stroke. Apparently um, another oh. side effect of which is that you can possibly remove all the light, all the light bulbs from your home. <laughs> yeah. Worth mentioning here, Bob Gunton, another side effect appears to be extremely glassy eyes and scarred face. Super glassy, yes. And the proclivity to dress like a puppet. He is wearing a tuxedo in his wheelchair. I'm going to be honest, when I saw this in 2007, I didn't think he was a puppet. I'm not going to lie, I didn't clock it either. I feel like I have either trained my brain to deliberately avoid trying to spot twists. Future spoilers. Or, or yes. if I'm, or, but I feel like I'm possibly giving myself too much credit there, and I think that routinely I might just also be an idiot. Like, it's one of those two things. But I, I just thought, huh, that's funny, he's dressed like a puppet. So you didn't think that that was, you didn't think that was foreshadowing what actually happens in the fullness of time? I knew it, was, it had something to do with it. Because I just thought it was just too weird. Why would he not be sat in his chair like Hugh Hefner? Like, why would you be buttoned up to the neck in a tuxedo when you're trying to convalesce? <laughs> like, so you're, you're indicated as the smart one here amongst three here. Yeah. 
I just thought I just thought that's not that, like, <laughs> we appear to literally be the dummies. Yeah. yeah, that's like if I if I was hospitalised tomorrow, God forbid, I'd phone my wife and say, "Oh, would you need brought up my slippers?" No, no, forget my slippers. Bring my shiny black, my shiniest black shoes. My only tux and my smartest suit. <laughs> my only tux, exactly. Yeah. Shuffling around the hospital with that. Um, I, I, there's something about this that, well, there's a few things about this that I think are quite funny. But like, um, when he goes in and he's talking to his his dad and stepmom, uh, it is fairly unsubtly seeded that he was not a good father. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think that Jamie then follows what I think is a pretty tenuous line of inquiry when he asks his wildly neglectful father about his a poem that his mom used to recite to him. When he was younger, like, like, do you remember fresh, that poem? Mummy said it was like, no, fresh, I definitely don't. Fresh off a stroke, any chance of remembering the particulars of this poem? <laughs> okay, subtlety is not the order of the day. No, no. Second time I laughed out loud was uh, when I, he's going down the stairs and all the ex-wives have been painted out the paintings. I, can, you know, now I, you know, watching it and now I think about it and I'm like, I still can't really believe it was made, and I'm still glad it was. I am. Yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm going to be. I'm going to be in defence of Dead Silence all the way through this as I rip it to absolute shreds. That's one hundred percent the point. I had an absolute hoot watching this. I don't know if I was supposed to, but I was. I I was slapping my thighs laughing. (laughs) I actually, yeah, this might actually not be a bad time to talk about that. When I was watching this, I mean, how you summed it up there, uh, Louise, is pretty much spot on in terms of how I felt. Like, I don't know how it got here. I'm quite glad it exists, and I'm quite happy that I've seen it. Um, None of that kind of encompasses me necessarily thinking that it's a good film in the traditional sense, but I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. But, yeah, I did kind of, like, grapple with it a little bit as we were going on in terms of, like, how seriously you're intended to take it. I mean, I'm hoping they're not... I mean, I think Juan said that it was, like, going into an episode of The Twilight Zone was Mm -hmm. his intention. (laughs) Okay. Um, I mean, it's nowhere near Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not even a, clo- it's not even a Freddy's Nightmare. No, it's not. But I think the closest thing we could get it to is a really cheap-ass, shonky ghost train at a fair that's just arrived that's a really a bit crap, but you still like it anyway. Yeah, you're right. There is that kind of charm to it. You know, it, it, sh- it judders between each scene you know you can feel the motor changing beneath like the carriage as it crunks you into the next bit but it's still you've paid for it so you're here and you're gonna enjoy it (laughs) (laughs) well by the way i did pay for it i went out so did i again (laughs) i went out and bought it Um, what i'm so sorry (laughs) no 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 just another uh, another dvd to add to my ever-growing collection of madness that has made its way there after starting this podcast was it on blu-ray is there like oh no director's commentary Oh, well, hang on. Uh, I didn't dig that deep. I didn't take such a deep dive, but hang, bear with me. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, oh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. I can tell you there's deleted scenes I'm making of Evolution of a VFX. It just says Evolution of a VFX. I don't know if a VFX what. Oh. Mary Shaw's Secrets. Ooh. Uh, and an alternate opening and ending. Hmm. Oh, I... Um... I have to report back on those or just post me the DVD and I will report back. <laughs> If it gets out of my collection, Louise, it will wing its way to you. Um, I, Thank you. I have, um, I have some info on the alternate ending if anyone would like it, but I think we'll, oh, in fact... Very we, much so. Should, I was going to say, should we just address that at the end? Yeah, okay. yeah we'll do that. Okay. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah, but um, yeah, but no, we can, uh, we, can, we can look and see what alternate route it could have gone down. Can I ask a question? Yes. The wife, Lisa, is she from Raven's... Whatever it is, Raven's... Raven's Fair. Raven's Fair. Yes, she definitely, is. because she knows the poem. 
She knows the poem. She yeah. seems to know right. the poem before he knows the poem, before he knows the the legend himself. He remembers all of it clearly on his in his convertible on the way there. Because my next question <laughs> was going to be: Has her parents been informed of her death, and also do they not mind her being taken up to this to be buried in a graveyard, which is well unkept? He says he spoke to them, but they didn't really talk about caskets. But then by the time it got round to the funeral, it was just like a slow motion blue picture of him with some leaves falling around him and very few other humans. Very, very few <laughs> other people. Yeah, uh, like a criminally underattended funeral. Yeah, just him, really. Like It looked like some kind of emo music video, really. Just tears rolling down his yeah. face. It really did, yeah. And, yeah, the, yeah. and that is the worst kept graveyard I've ever seen. It's uh, the, the one in Pet Cemetery is more welcoming. <laughs> Um, <laughs> they... Complete with masked children. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that uh, the mortician uses an ancient, gigantic camera with one of those old flash bulbs? I oh. kind of liked that. I kind of like how crunky that was. And his dad used it before. You see it later on as well. Ah. Oh. See this huge, the one that he took as she wants to be transformed into a doll, and he took pictures as she went, and you can see it's the same gigantic camera. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's extremely yeah. troubling that he did that. Oh, yeah, that was disturbing. And just also in the house having a child there. He did that in the house where his son lived. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, it's, it's 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 like, I mean, I, th- I think that it's like, it's it's a minor miracle that Henry's even halfway okay adjusted, really. But yeah, right after this, the first real instance, I think, of why, why did you take Billy with you? <laughs> uh, when he's in the motel. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah when he's, he sat Billy looking out the window. Yeah, why does he prop it up everywhere? Just keep it in a bag. Or the box it came in. It came in a box. It, it? <laughs> it needs to be locked away. At, bear in mind, at this point, he is convinced that this doll is involved in the death of his wife. So he wants it to have a nice view all night of him. <laughs> I would Please not just sleep. watch me sleep. I, I would be sitting up with my knees up and my blanket pulled up just under my chin, just watching that thing all fucking night. Maybe. As someone who needs to take the dressing gown off the back of her door because it looks slightly like a human figure. <laughs> That's like, I can't even imagine putting something tiny and humanoid. You just face me. Yeah, great. See, did you did you say that he faced him looking out the window at the start of that? Aye. Do you think that he did that because he thinks that he killed his wife and he wants him to think about what he's done? So he put him in a position where people normally do to contemplate. Or alternatively to stop people breaking into his room because that would do it for me. I just to scare parents. <laughs> anyway... Sorry, Mitch. No, it's fine. Marion, the wife of Henry the Mortician, uh-huh. um, she starts to figure a little more at this point. In that, like, she's obviously um, she's kind of she's senile, right? I don't know what the situation is with Marion exactly. Um, I'm guessing it's just the kind of there's there's a lot of parallels I think you can draw between this film and Nightmare on Elm Street, and so much as the character of Mary Shaw killed a boy from or was believed to have killed a boy from the town, and the townsfolk gathered round, killed her, and she takes her revenge. In Nightmare on Elm Street, that kind of causes the town of Springwood to die. Similar thing happens in Raven's Fair, and I think perhaps her psychosis, if you like, has kind of stemmed from all the things that have happened in this town and all the people that have died. Yeah, she is basically Freddy who can throw her voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, um, yeah I, I, I agree with that. Um, so yeah, Marion, she's kind of mumbling indiscriminately about the silent time coming. She makes sense sometimes. She has that kind of movie madness where initially people go, oh, she's mad, you shouldn't listen to her. And by three quarters of the movie, you're doing exactly what she said and burying the doll. Of course. That's her advice, isn't it? Yeah, she's literally like, bury the doll. And off she goes with her pet crow. 
It's so funny that they keep talking about Mary Shaw being buried with her hundred and one dolls. And I when I saw her coffin, I was like, nah, there's no fucking way you're getting a hundred and one dolls in that coffin. <laughs> but then when you go to the graveyard, it's even weirder because they've all got an individual grave. It would have been great if she had a coffin the size of a shipping container. It was just full of dolls. Just packed full of dolls, but it's worse they've all got a gross little grave. <laughs> you um, kind of think maybe think she's some kind of like when they buried in ancient Egypt the pharaohs with all the cats, it'd be her in the bottom of a pyramid just surrounded by uh, dolls standing up. Yeah. Also, um, when he when he gets to the gravestone, uh, he's looking to try and find the right grave to bury the puppet in. He, he finds the grave that says Billy on it, and he's like, well, obviously, right, this is the one I need to, to bury Billy in. But then, later on, when he's in the big doll display room, there's like Billy 5, Billy 57, Billy 17. You're like... It just seems like you'd spend a lot of time digging up Billy graves. Yeah, just... (laughs) But doesn't the... Doesn't Wahlberg then dig them all up? Uh, Yeah, I believe... uh, He finds they're all empty. Thankfully, we don't see him opening 101 graves. That must have taken him fucking ages. (laughs) Maybe this one's here. Nope. Maybe this one. (laughs) What about this one? Nope. Like how far into the hundred and one would you just be like, right, they're obviously they're all here. gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> just stop. I'd stop about seven. I'd go, yeah. there's a pattern developing here. Yes. But yeah, as that's I, the deleted scenes. Yeah, <laughs> it's just seventeen minutes of uh, empty empty dog coffins getting exhumed. Just a really dirty Dory Wilbur get a hole. Um, Shaving. <laughs> inevitably. <laughs> inevitably. Uh, yeah, in the middle of this, in the kind of graveyard sequence, because at this point, uh, Le- Le- as we said, Lisa's funeral blows by with little ceremony, and that it was a very little ceremony, and also it gets no airtime. <laughs> well, there's only like six people left in this town, and neither of them are her parents. No, and yeah, while wandering around, Jamie does find the incredibly well-maintained grave of Mary Shaw, and it's accosted not long after this, I think, again by Henry and Marion. Yeah, this is when Marion tells him to bury the doll. Yeah. Which he does, yeah. <laughs> There's also around this time that he's driving. It's one of the many driving sequences, and Billy, as you say, he's like strapped in in the passenger seat, and it's not unique to Dead Silence. But see, every time a creepy doll slowly turns its head and like side eyes someone, I fucking lose my mind laughing. I think there's something funny about it, but I think there's still something that gets you about that simply because like. I read the Goosebumps books growing up and mm-hmm. like yeah. Night of the Living Dummy and Slappy, Slappy. still kind of yeah. mentally scare me. And I think Billy is probably the closest we've got to something like Slappy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, also, why do people in these kind of films seatbelt dolls in? <laughs> like, just put it in, just leave it there. Who gives a fuck if it falls I mean, off like, the seat? Yeah, like, I, mean, like, I mean, like, the fact it's in the shape of a human is kind of immaterial. It's still just a pile of wood. Although it's very funny if you're involved in a car crash and the person thinks they've killed a child. Yes, Annie. Yes, yes, yes Annie, that's fucking hilarious. That's funny. Yep, <laughs> definitely <that>? funny. <laughs> Maybe, I'm not sure if it's his car, but if it was in my car, if I had a doll next to me in the seat, my car little alarm would be going off saying you've not fastened that child in. So maybe that. (laughs) Purely to silence the interminable beeping. Yes. (laughs) Um, That's really lovely. (laughs) Next time I'm taking my ventriloquist dummy anywhere, I'll let you know if it's heavy enough. (laughs) (laughs) If it triggers the mechanism. Um... Yeah, Billy, very shortly after this, is exhumed and back at the motel because Donnie Wahlberg has returned. Uh, honestly, I could have been done with Donnie Wahlberg at this point. I don't think he 
he's so annoying. He's compulsively neck shaving, continually being kind of like very heavy, like kind of really heavy hand, like you say, with the accusations in a situation where there is really not that much evidence. But freaky shit is coming thick and thin, and it's not until he's actually on the brink of death that he starts to yep. believe it. And also, this is the point where he's like, this is evidence. It's like, well, you didn't consider it evidence before. Yeah, also, if it's evidence, stop fucking grabbing it. <laughs> stop carrying it around with <laughs> you. Right after this, we get an uh, an exposition dump in the form of flashback that I really enjoy. I think I, I like this. I, I, like this. I think, like, and also, I just like the fact as well that um, so basically, yeah, he goes back and talks to Henry the mortician, who then recounts the kind of glory days of uh, Raven Fair, and you get a kind of a flashback and some general kind of exposition. But I like the fact that they give this some proper airtime. Like, I think this entire segment yeah. takes about ten minutes, and I, I, it's possibly my favorite bit of the film. Oh, I'm with you there. Like the fact this kind of lovely introduction of this creepy theater that's out on Lost Lake, and like <laughs> uh, the, the, the Guignol Theater, by the, the way. Yes, but it, I mean it is beautiful, and it's got that kind of grand old school magic feel to it. And you just know that they loved creating the imagery and lighting around that because that's the first time it's bright. You know, yeah. super bright. There's lights everywhere. This adoring audience and looking at the sort of simpler time where this was the entertainment. Like uh-huh. I really liked it. Like I really, really liked this. But it was so. I like the sort of ideas of Victorian magic and illusion, and the ventriloquist part of that was was very much there yeah that lovely kind of vaudevillian theme i think that like see when it when it first goes into that and it's kind of it's a little bit kind of soft focus kind of thing you get that exterior shot of everyone going into the theater yeah i think that that's like really really wistful and nice i think that the whole feel of that is really really good inside the theater then and as you say mary shaw is performing henry here played by a young keir gilchrist yeah um obviously go on to uh, put together a pretty good horror cv with like it follows and the good neighbor that kind of thing oh yeah um, and Judith Roberts as Mary Shaw herself. Uh, obviously, she was in You Were Never Really Here. I think she's doing great work as Mary Shaw. Yes, yeah, she's great. Certainly at this point. There's um, definitely threat there. Like, th- there's far more threat in her sort of who's the dummy type than any of the ridiculous stuff that comes in the third act with the tongue. <laughs> like, yeah. She's far more. She's kind of like a really super scary teacher. There's kind of a proper threat. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I think that she does pretty good work later on, but when you see her kind of as an actual human... Yeah, and the threat really stemming from uh, a heckler. Yeah. Yeah, a young Michael Ashen. Who uh, is uh, saying that he can see her lips move, which she I doesn't take... I could too. Yeah, so can I, <laughs> like, quite clearly. <laughs> which, uh, she doesn't take kindly to that. I think it's quite a nice touch, the way that she kind of like puts his gas at a peep here, or the way that you see him kind of getting kind of like put in his place when they start shouting over each other. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I thought it was cool. Yeah, that was clever. Shaw murdered um, after this by an, un- an unidentified assailant at the time, having kind of shut, yeah. the, bo- having, having kind of shut the boy down. Um, we also find out at this point, yeah, we touched on it earlier, this is really fucking weird and even stranger that um, Henry's father kind of deigned to do this in his house. But our dying request was to, yes, be buried with all of our 101 dolls, but also <laughs> be, uh, be kind of made into a doll herself. Yeah, you'll you'll need that bingo card here again because this scene is rife with wannish imagery. To me, it's it's just baffling that this professional would do this to a corpse. But then there's on the plus side, you've kind of got this 
it's kind of like one of those urban legend stories that you would tell around a campfire. Like, I really like that part of it. I like the stupidity of it and the fact that, oh yeah, that's just what we do here. We just, even the, all the dying wishes, we perform them all, even if it's full poop. <laughs> we'll make, even if we'll turn you into a doll as one of them, it's fine. Everything, every need covered, this even, funeral home. Even yeah. if it's borderline desecration of a corpse. <laughs> if it's what she wanted. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. She always wanted hands sewn to the side of her face. and like, just like, As long as they were her own. You yeah, know, like and not just any old hands, <laughs> just spare mortuary hands. <laughs> like I'd like to, I'd like to think that she was very clear about that. <laughs> um, Louise, I kind of wanted something there actually because I think that obviously this, on the face of it, is kind of preposterous. But um, this entire section is done in this kind of like slightly dreamlike and kind of fairy tale kind of way. So to do something that feels more like a campfire story is yeah. like it doesn't feel as off as it would maybe in like in another in another context maybe yeah i think i think there's definitely i think we've already done the thing of suspending our disbelief enough to try not to think too hard about why the father's in a tuxedo and you know that this is the kind of attitude that you've got but i mean you've made it halfway through the movie you're in it for the long haul now yeah you may as well buy into the fact that she wanted to be a doll in death done boom (laughs) interesting yeah fine i agree so we learn that um, Mary Shaw is not going to stop killing until the screaming stops, which is which is wild. Which feels like something that they had earlier on in the movie and thought was shit, so they cut. <laughs> and yeah. then somehow this was the one because uh, nowhere nowhere ever says that. Yeah, because I, like- I really I like his script, like Henry's script. He says there are some things that you remember, and there are some things you can't forget. And I really liked that as a sentence. I yeah. was like, oh, I'm into that. That's super creepy. Yeah, that's but nice. then she won't. She won't stop until the screaming stops. It's like, oh, well, you've tried to kind of shoehorn this whole thing about ripping tongues out, but you've not actually shown that anywhere in the movie. So it just feels a bit weird. Meanwhile, the start of it was so cool. Yeah. I feel like there was definite edits around maybe it was always going to be about when the screaming stops, but they were just like, oh, well, that doesn't work that well, so let's cut it, but we'll still get Henry saying it. Oh, well, we'll just use it anyway. Yeah, I think the, the kind of MacGuffin of the screaming, I kind of, I guess, alerting Mary Shaw to your presence and she swoops in, pulls your tongue out, does feel so tacked on and underdeveloped. I think the idea of Mary Shaw stealing tongues to take voices, to throw voices, is a far more interesting yeah. way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, voices, not screams, is way better. yeah. yeah. It's and it is ah, you're, it's frustrating that it seems they seem to play really fast and loose with how much weight they throw behind that as it goes on. But it's it's never none of the the main characters apart from this moment here. I don't think ever really ever really touch on it or the mechanics of it in any great detail. It just seems like such a kind of throwaway thing to have added. Mm-hmm. I think then looking at that, like the reason that that you still like it is because I really like the ideas around it and mentally, I think. I've made a very different film about that. <laughs> and that's just kind of the version of it that I see is that. Because you see these cool ideas and you see these cool things that if you thought, like, if you were 10 and the idea of ventriloquist dummies and people making themselves into them, that would just be like horror gold. Yeah. And I think it's all these ideas and it's the ideas of screaming and voices being stolen. But then what we actually get is this the ultra, not even mediocre movie yeah. with a big budget. I would, yeah. I would really love to read the original script. I'd like to know yeah. exactly how much meddling and with script doctors and studio stuff was involved in it becoming the film that it now is. Because he said after that, that was the last reason, that was 
that's why he now writes to spec. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because obviously they had one idea and it just became this weird, disjointed monster of a script. Yeah. Yeah, and I know I'd be, I'd be really curious to know because obviously, I mean, because he's spoken so publicly and at such length about the problems that he had or the bad experiences he had dealing with the studio through it, I think like, it would be really interesting to see exactly how far we got from the genesis of the idea where the story went yeah. originally. I bet it's quite far. I would say it's yeah. quite far. But uh, yeah, uh, at this point, Jamie decides he's going to go and visit the old Guignol Theatre on Lost Lake. He actually says, oh, you mean the old theatre on Lost Lake? Yeah, yeah, still needs a map. <laughs> <laughs> knows the theatre well still needs a map finds quite a lot of creepy doll miscellany here yeah also you need to row to get there how many endless little boats are there that really got me <laughs> my favourite like... my favourite bit is when uh, Donnie Wahlberg gets in the boat and he can't do it at all and I think it, it feels very real like, yes. like Donnie Wahlberg doesn't know how to row a boat like it just said <laughs> in the script row yeah. <laughs> he's like okay oh, it's definitely it. what I can do <laughs> Also, it feels to me like the art department here have taken the design of this far too far. I mean, we're only probably talking about 50 years, 60 years yeah. maybe. Um, but this is completely reclaimed by nature. Yeah, it's gone. I'll tell you what hasn't though, which is um, he finds like some creepy doll stuff there. But what also I think appears to be the book from the opening credits. Yeah. With a guide to making the perfect doll. Pretty uh, good, Nick. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, considering the state of the rest of it, very legible. But yeah, like, kind of plants a fair amount of seeds of what's coming later um, with the whole, yeah, making the perfect doll thing. We also, um, around uh, this time, we lose Henry, or yeah. the this, this, yes. this, this situation um, by like via which we, we lose Henry kind of kicks in. Because Marion is still kind of deliriously talking to Billy yep. at this point. In this crawl space that they... That- just again seems like a shoehorned in creepy place yeah but he hasn't like if he knew that his you know a vulnerable wife kept crawling in there you'd literally block it yeah you'd you'd do that creepy horror thing where you'd put boards over it (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) break it up even just a, a good sturdy padlock yeah. I no, God, I hadn't considered that at all. But yes, of course. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a cat getting stuck under the house kind of thing. But yeah, she's... Uh... But he heads on in, despite the fact that he's left her in the other room. <laughs> and she's automatically ended up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God damn it, Marion! <laughs> she's stuck in the vent again. No, he goes in there. Um... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's uh, obviously it's a trick. The voice has been thrown in there and uh, Henry gets himself gets himself locked in. Now, Marion isn't dead. No. The Correct. way I imagine, or the way I saw the power of this going was that... Oh, voice it's, collection. It's t- voice collection and then passing off a voice as someone else's voice. Because he does it with Lisa. Yeah. He does it later with Henry. Yeah. But he's just doing it with Marion? She's just... Is that what we're to understand here? I don't understand any of this. Oh, shit. It's a logic cheat, isn't it? Ah. That's it. The whole film's collapsed. It was so believable before. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was all hanging together so perfectly until now. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, the zigzagging here is a. It's blown my mind how uh, how much back and forth there is. As in the physical zigzagging by characters on the map or between stories. Characters on the map. Yeah. yeah. As in like the, phys- the the actual physical yeah journeys. Because I'm sure Jamie darts from the, the theatre back to the mortuary here, back to the theatre, then back to the mortuary. What? Yeah, there's a power of darting around. And then he goes home. Yeah, because he wants to go and get Billy again, so he goes back to the mortuary to find Billy, to find... Oh, yeah, I'm completely lost now. Donnie yeah. Wahlberg says here that he's feeling perplexed 
he's not alone. <laughs> By this point, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Like, the rules are flexible and elastic. Yeah. And I, at this point, I was starting to check my watch. I was like, how how long's left to go on this? And to, to, by the way, there's about fifty minutes. Which I mean, it's it's kind of indicative of how much you were enjoying that there because it is only an hour and a half. It is a swift ninety minute movie. Yeah, it's lean. <laughs> I mean, uh, that we're not talking Avengers here. No, 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 no. Yeah, J- um, Jamie also another zigzag uh, goes back to Ella and Edward at this point. Yeah, says uh, what? What do Michael Ashton and our family have to do with Mary Shaw? Second round of a uh, kind of an exposition dump here. We find out that Michael Ashton was his great uncle, and uh, although Mary uh, Shaw was kind of killed by quite a few townspeople, mm-hmm. their family was fairly instrumental in yeah. Yeah. her death. The Freddy story. Yeah, the Freddy story part of it for sure. Yeah, um, and then Mary Shaw killed from beyond the grave down generations. Um, it would appear. And so we learned this, and then you're. This is when we were talking about before when uh, Donny Wahlberg returns uh, to say that all 100 dolls have been dug up. Yep. <laughs> he's, he's, he's done the ne- He's crunched the numbers, done the necessary field work. They're all gone. I reckon. If he'd paid the same amount of attention to any other part of the case, I think it might be solved. <laughs> yeah. Or at least he'd be looking elsewhere. Yeah. Aye, pursuing other lines. But at this point, he's still convinced that Jamie does it. And Jamie pushes him over. <laughs> He's about to arrest Jamie, and Jamie pushes him onto his bum, and then the slowest, most awkward foot chase I've ever seen to <laughs> towards a car takes place. Jamie tears away in his red car, and Donny <laughs> Donny Wilberg shouts after him, "I don't have a full tank of gas." Which, but still manages to get to the lake. Oh, in record time. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, because Jamie at this point has taken a call from air quotes Henry. To go back to the theatre. Yeah, saying he can exonerate him uh, if he's willing to meet him at the theatre, which is, like, kind of a strange choice anyway. Like, it's like, just kind of like, I can exonerate you if you come to my house. Uh, or I can well, come this, in, the, in the mortuary. This is the one point where Wahlberg's character actually says the right thing of, well, that's convenient. And he could be <laughs> referring to the whole plot at that moment. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, he uh, he escapes, heads to the theatre. Um, Donnie Wahlberg Lipton is uh, in hot pursuit. Oh. Um, at this point, I'd kind of gotten a grasp for roughly how seriously the film took itself. Uh, they both arrive at the theatre, and I'm already a little bit sad about the very silly doll fight that I know won't happen. <laughs> Did you? Were you hoping for a kind of puppet mastery? Like a swarm of 101 dolls being <laughs> like kicked Battle th- Royale. Yeah, just being kicked and thrown across the room. Look, I'm just saying it would have been nice, okay? <laughs> that would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> I'd have been up for that. The, uh, we kind of know what we're signing up for by the time they arrive back at the theatre. Oh, we've, no. We've, been, no we've, just, we've like, well, initially we do anyway. They've been here several times. So there's um kind of miscellaneous creepy doll stuff. I think the effectiveness of which has been watered down quite a bit by now. Yep, more things covered with sheets. I like the wall. The wall's a good bit. The wall. The wall with the stripes down it. And they hear Henry's voice saying, Oh, yeah. Right, come this way. And they're staring at this wall. And then, you know, Ryan Quentin's character sees a sense for it's time to be dramatic. It's definitely time to be dramatic. And he just stands in front of the wall and says, Remember not to scream. And then walks off to the right hand side, showing that the wall actually has two layers and he's just walking between them. Yeah. I quite like that. That yeah, was all right. That's a, a nice little. It was cool. A nice little practical illusion in there. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, and a sea of mediocrity. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like the the kind of visual trick and kind of visual flair that would end up being 
a kind of yeah. way, way, way more of a kind of a calling card of James Wan's in the fullness of time. Yeah, yeah kind of like Pepper's Ghost style illusion, that kind of thing. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. We also, as uh, Jamie says, we solve a 70-year-old missing persons case here in spectacular fashion. With a puppet corpse on the floor. It's not subtle. Well, no. <laughs> Whatever else it is, it's not subtle. But it's, uh, I think that, again, I'm pretty sure there's a sheet over Michael Ashen as well. There is. Yeah. Yep. Um, but <laughs> Of course there is. <laughs> <laughs> not long after this when they go back to the house and literally everything has a sheet over it like, everything for, in the house has a sheet over it for fuck's sake <laughs> maybe that like at Christmas that's how they wrap their presents there's little sheets over stuff in the one household <laughs> why that's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just how you unwrap stuff yep, yep. Why tiny would, sheets why would Ella cover everything in the house with a sheet when he's already been there and it didn't have sheets yeah. I tell you, um, no, we're I get, don't, I don't understand. We're we're, we're getting <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves here though, because um, we do have like this this fascinating multi stage standoff with Mary Shaw, which uh, begins with her interacting with him through a uh, ceramic Pennywise. Yeah, if yes. you were wondering if there's a giant clown doll in this, <laughs> I could tell the you that there is. Movement. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we get a proper, well, certainly in the unrated version, I've read a note that um, this is not, like, you see the long tongue right. in, the theatrical, in the theatrical cut, but in the unrated, it gets way more airtime. Okay, so, so that's the three the unrated, So is it the only unrated version that you actually see the weird, like, Russian doll layering of the tongue? So you've got, like, Mary Shaw, tongue, clown doll, tongue coming out of its mouth, because that's just weird. I don't I, think I'd seen that before. That could be right then. I'm just I'm just, I'm going to very quickly shoot through what you get, what the differences are. Detective Lipton has a conversation with his colleague before interrogating Jamie and Lisa's death. Pretty dry. Thrilling. Um, the, Donut time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mary Shaw's performance at the theatre is extended. I, I could, I'm down with that. Um, I like that bit. Yeah, I'm, I was happy. Like, yeah, give me more of that. Um, Jamie walking through Mary Shaw's property, slightly extended, whatever. Um, the unrated version depicts Detective Lipton rowing the boat towards the dilapidated theatre to chase Jamie. Absolutely essential inclusion because it is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but, so yeah, here we are. Mary Shaw is depicted several times throughout the unrated version. This is from Wikipedia, by the way. Uh, throughout the unrated version with a long, slimy tongue made of the numerous tongues from her victims. In the scene, she uses her tongue to frighten her victims, making it slither from her mouth. It licks Jamie's cheek in one scene. Yep. And, yep. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, like the tongue stuff is kind of, it seems like it's teased out way more. I hadn't realised that the tongue was made of tongues. Oh, it was just like tongue on, oh, was it just like mega, like, the human centipede of tongues. Yeah, I'm guessing so. That's <laughs> yeah. what. That's certainly what I'm hearing from uh, Wikipedia. And uh, how could that be wrong? Yeah, that's how. That's, of course. That's how I'm. That's how I'm reading that as well. Right. Oh. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I just assumed they were just assimilated, or yeah, or just a really long, weird, yeah, build up. Yeah, I need to start mm-hmm. questioning things more. <laughs> Mary Shaw reveals some motives and stuff here, um, including tipping off the fact that the reason that uh, Lisa had to die at the beginning was that she was pregnant with the last Ashen. Yeah, we, we knew that. We yeah. kind of figured that out. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We were like three steps ahead of the reveal, but we do find that out. And I think like the dolls, it's around here that they start adopting kind of like ghostly human visages because uh, she's living in the puppets. I absolutely loved it when Donnie Wahlberg starts blowing all the dolls to bits with a shotgun. Yep. Incredibly satisfying and hilarious. <laughs> well, I, wa- I was wondering where uh, Ryan Quentin's character had got like a Molotov cocktail from because 
before that, when he's shooting, I was like, there's $101 here. He's never going to be able to shoot all of these dolls. And then all of a sudden, he's got like a, a Molotov cocktail and the place is in fire. Was it the lamp? Was Did the lamp become the Molotov cocktail? The lamp that we didn't actually see him light? It was there a lamp? Oh, okay. Uh, oh, no, yeah. Well, he had, he had like him a, having a torch. No, the, Lipton he had a had gas a type. Yeah, Lipton oh. had a torch. He had like a kind of gas lampy thing. Of course. To look, yeah. Obviously, that's a one checklist to hold over your head conjuring style absolutely yeah 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 but no you're, you're, you're quite right that will be what it is with computer generated glow yes very, very one as well <laughs> um Wahlberg in the film's kind of most merciful moment Wal- uh, Wahlberg gets detongued uh, and here's the sad razor sequence just <laughs> I don't know why they showed that it was absurd <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, how deliciously absurd I think like to be fair that's probably what you were saying um, earlier about the kind of like the fact that he spends most of the film uh, obsessively shaving his neck was this kind of like kind of hackneyed attempt to give him like a quirk yeah so I guess that the uh, the silently buzzing razor is probably like the attempt to kind of put a bow on that yeah I would have liked to have seen his character like a more obsessive quality in his character and that just being a further extension of this obsessive policeman's mind. Cause he yeah, just like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have hurt for him to be a good cop. Yeah, no, but just have this, obs- like, once he's got his kind of something and or he's got his bit on something, then he's so obsessed with it and he uses that this obsessive shaving to, like, give himself time to think or, like, just as a method, like, I guess, like, Kojak sucking a lollipop. Uh, but instead, it's just it just comes across as... You're shaving, but you're still extremely hairy in the face. He is. <laughs> I don't even think that's on. <laughs> I don't even know if I can defend this movie anymore, guys. Ah, oh, no. I've done that to Mitch a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I've broke Mitch down to the fact that he's just been like, do you know, you're right. In fairness, though, I think that like when, when we do, because I, I historically get absolutely trounced in Andy versus Mitch episodes, but um, I kind of do what you're doing as well, which is like, you're kind of like, yeah, it's shite, but it's good though, isn't it? At this point, like, the thing is, I will say, in defense of this bit, not obviously not the razor, but I feel like when he finally relents to that there's horrible stuff happening, mm-hmm. he actually becomes a more interesting character. Like, when they're doing stuff together, when it becomes yeah. kind of like a little bit more of a Scooby Doo situation with like the little arguments about who goes first and all the rest of it, that's actually far more entertaining than watching Quentin just kind of doe-eyed, sort of stare around a bit. Like, yeah. it's much more interesting when there's two of them. I, I like, th- and, and it ends too fast that way. That's, yeah, that's, I, that's yeah, a great point. I think point. it would have been yeah. nicer for Donnie Wahlberg to get on side a little sooner. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. that is a, that is good, them having this kind of awkward relationship between like between one another and I think it would have been nice to see that also fleshed it a little bit rather than being just two minutes before Wahlberg dies. Uh, the kind of uneasy alliance stuff you're right um it works it works pretty nicely and it does it does completely reframe Wahlberg's character in a way that feels really necessary. Yeah um, and suddenly he becomes the guy with the gun not just the guy who's super wrong. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah He's now a bad cop with a gun. <laughs> Everyone needs those. <laughs> <laughs> he might still be incompetent, but he's packing heat. <laughs> Quick jump back to the mortuary here to learn that uh, Bob Gunton, Edward, has come and taken the doll, which uh, necessitates yet another jump back to uh, the Ashen residence, yes. Ashen Manor, and the film's final moments, which are a whole mess of absurd, <laughs> hilarious nonsense, which I, could, I, I can't get enough of the last couple of minutes. Yep. 
Especially the soup. Talk us through the soup. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I what I will say about where this goes um, and how this ends is that I mean, I know that Andy, you clocked on to the fact that he looks a lot like a puppet earlier on. Yeah. I mean, I did not expect that we would come to learn that Edward had been hollowed out from the back and was being puppeteered <laughs> no. by Ella. Like, I like, I, 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 I didn't see that coming. But yes, um, <laughs> Louise, you're quite right. In the in the montage, or like where you kind of see Ella puppeteering him when you get back to the scene from earlier on when they were dining and she was feeding him soup. Yep. I also think like. The the shot, like, all this like making a perfect doll has like, and he's just got like a stick, like it's just a stick. No, no, she's yeah. the perfect doll. Oh yeah, yeah, but like not the. No, I know that she's the she's the wonderful one, but also you'd think it that she'd have come up with something. I mean, she's having to control like facial features and stuff, and this yeah. just looks like something you'd stir porridge with. <laughs> yeah, yeah his, he, his eyes are darting around. That's, so, that's such a great shout. He's got he's got like a very expressive face, and it is not a precision instrument that she's using to but do that. This is a rudimentary <laughs> mechanism at best. There's no there's no animatronic yeah. cabling going on here. Nothing no. like that. Bob Gunton's no. mouth would maybe open and close at best. Yeah, and even then, it would just like gape open. There'd be no like. Yeah, sort of, there's some, there's no granularity to that. <laughs> no. no, he can articulate words pretty well. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> geez, honestly, oh. like, I, like, I like, I mean, like, I knew that I knew on some level that the twist here was preposterous. But see, when you talk about the mechanics of it, my God. Do you know when I I, I decided? Yep, yeah, there's 100 percent a puppet relation with a dad here. When? when I was confronted with 101 puppets wearing the dad's clothes. <laughs> makes us sound even worse. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Like, apart from the odd female-looking one, see, even if you had seen Billy the Puppet in there from Saw, he's still wearing the he's same fucking clothes. He's still wearing the same clothes. Where's his tricycle? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'd like to see the Bob Gunton puppet on a tricycle. <laughs> How great would it have been if, like... The saw music started playing and the puppet just starts being like, hello, Jamie. You're probably wondering why you're here. There there are moments that play out kind of similar to the last five minutes of a saw film. Actually, this does. There's a slow acting poison running through your veins. (laughs) Fast editing, slow vocals. That's all that happens. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. Um, I've got to say, I love hollowed out Bob Gunton. I think it's hilarious. That's brilliant. I like it when he slumps forward when she lets go. Like, I like <laughs> yeah. that yeah. as an addition. That was cool. Yeah. The whole film is worth watching for these last couple of minutes. It's fucking it it's amazing. It really is. Yeah, but yeah, but you're right. Between the slumping forward and yeah, her feeding him soup and it just falling down a tube and collecting in a little pan at the base of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, see, but the, again, like that whole thing, the entire way it un- unfolds, the entire way it's depicted is on the face of it so ridiculous that you kind of feel like they must have known what they were doing at some level there. Yeah. Like, they couldn't have been taking it seriously. I mean, sh- I mean, surely they. I bet you that's in the original script. Soup falls. <laughs> I think precisely that. Yeah, but I, I bet you the, the dad puppet's in the, in the original script. And I, mm. and I hope it is because it, to me, it's. It's a satisfying payoff for me. Uh, it's so absurd, and I just really, I just really loved it when I saw his dad had no like no back and he was a puppet man. I was just, <laughs> yes, thank you. 
Let's King go off though. <laughs> and it does. With it, terrible music. It does, yeah. <laughs> I remember I was watching it and I was like, you know, I, I don't pretty much I was like sitting watching taking notes and I was like, yep, yeah, this is this is gonna be a good one to talk about. I'm not sure if I'd necessarily like like it, but I think it's a good one to talk about. And then when that happened, I was like, Is this amazing? <laughs> is this an actual masterpiece? <laughs> the puppet masterpiece. <laughs> it's like has this in one move become the best film of all time and also the fact that everybody dies oh I like mm-hmm. it's the fact that it's all over nobody's surviving this you mm-hmm. know she she wins I like that she wins yeah same same it's yeah it's like it's quite a nasty ending in that way like a lot like yeah pretty much everyone's blown off the map also was she just pretend that uh, this is one thing I hadn't noticed before so he finally gets Billy in the fire yeah and then the ghost of Mary Shaw starts like overreacting and goes well ah, was me I'm melting yeah. and then is apparently gone and it's like but she's not she's because in, she's, in, she's in the doll she's in the doll yeah it uh, seemed very odd uh yeah i think that um the 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 logic of the actual mythology of this is really really fluid yeah uh, we'll long... call it fluid that's what we'll call it <laughs> how long has the dad been a puppet for because there was no guarantee that jamie would come back well he had been calling hadn't he he'd been like why didn't you return my calls and he's like i didn't have anything to say to you so She's been faking his voice, making calls every couple of months for potentially years. Yeah, that's wow. I want to watch that film. Like, I want to watch this in the, the the entire like timeline of this film from the perspective of that house. It's very disturbing. <laughs> but soup. Yeah, but, but yeah, but all the soup you can eat. Uh, yeah, but uh, Jay, like, so she takes on the visage of uh, Ella. Takes on the visage of uh, Mary Shaw. Jamie screams. She goes for the tongue, and we are out to, as you say, Louise, um, some fairly terrible music and yeah. uh, some depictions of the entire family yes. um, in puppet form. <laughs> what was weird was I was um I was tr- I was looking through interviews with Juan and Juanella at the same t- at the time, and at the time they were pretty much guaranteed to be making a sequel. Like they'd yeah. already been, if not greenlit, like they'd clearly planned one because they'd say things like, "Oh, well, maybe that will be in the sequel." Right. Okay. So I don't think they were expecting it to be as panned and completely fail at the box office as it was. Like I fully into. I think they were probably writing it and had already written the vague idea of what she'd do next. And I'm, I'm still kind of up for that, guys. Oh, I mean, I would 100% watch another one of these. Do you he know needs what... to stop making Aquaman, <laughs> the next one, and just. Yeah, Dead Silence 2. Dead Silence 2, because <laughs> they give the people what they want. If James Wan turned around tomorrow and said, I want to make Dead Silence 2, they would throw money at him. Of course they would. He'd be, he'd have $100 million to make it. Yeah, he could get that made if he wanted to. Of course he could. Yeah. He's, he's A-list now. Like, he could 100% get it made now. Like, I'd watch it in any form. I'd watch it as a TV series on Netflix. I'd watch it anywhere. More ventriloquist dummies. I'd yeah. just like to know what the plan was taking this forward. When all, all yeah. your key players are, are gone except for Ella, the puppet woman who's inhabited by a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, and if she's finished her biz, like her, you know, what she was there to do, which has, was kill them all. Has yeah. the screaming stopped then? Is that Would, would that not then essentially be the end of the end not, of Mary Shaw? Yeah, I guess if if she'd managed to kill all the other families... If she was, he was literally the last, 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 last one because mm-hmm. presumably there was other families that well, helped ta- kill her. The yeah, town is pretty empty. Yeah, everything was um, closing down, wasn't it? Yeah, when you get your your drive through there, there's like <laughs> closing down due to murder. Yeah, I was going to say it has that like mass murder has that kind of effect on the economy, doesn't it? Murder-related <laughs> bankruptcy. Yeah, but of course, in two thousand and seven, 
This was made for twenty million. I think made twenty two. Twenty two overall final final score. That's right. including home entertainment, I believe. Oh wow. Okay. Oh. Right. So yeah. you so you're in terms of making in terms of making your budget back, you're really scraping over the finish line there, then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And we're helping. We're paying three forty nine at a time now. I, I, I paid, paid three forty nine for this. Yeah. I paid five whole pounds for oh, the for the hard copy. You're, you're welcome, James One. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't spend that 0.000001 pence all at once. Also, I, I, I do want to say that the box art here for the, the home release that I'm looking at is fucking terrible. I much prefer the little so, doll, the little whispering doll. What? This is Mary Shaw's face, and it's it's horrible. It's terrible. Well, I've never seen that. I think the art online was the, the doll with the with the finger up. The doll with the finger so, up. Yeah. Yeah. Aye, that's, okay, I, I think that the artwork and stuff for this is really cool. Um, yeah, I think stylistically, like I like all how over the top it all is. I mean, it becomes a bit obsessed with those uh, graphic matches. I think there was one in particular next to the older, the old woman going into the map that was completely unnecessary. Huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we transition in and out of his eye from the police station and then back Three into times. his car <laughs> and like, just constantly like, yeah. we get it, you're doing interesting things. Um, Louise, this was a really interesting choice for this. I hadn't seen it before you um, before you came. I'm to sorry. The table. No, it's I'm fa- so like, sorry. It's, it's, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I kind of sit here and say that I think that it is a good film, but it's a total curiosity when you think about what these guys went on to do. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think that yeah, you know, we've talked about certain technical elements of it that we think that are kind of they kind of overplay their hand a little bit with certain things, but it is interesting to see the things that would kind of. Sh- you would look back and see what shaped James Wan as a filmmaker and Lee, and Lee Winnell as a writer. Mm-hmm. And also content-wise for this year, even. Like, if you look at all this stuff, obviously we've had the the boy to Brahms coming yeah, out. Yeah. We've got uh, Anna, I've got another Annabelle, which is Annabelle Comes Home, which is basically Night at the Museum Annabelle style. <laughs> we've got another child's play. Like, we're not, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we've come back into creepy doll territory. There's that awful one on Netflix, Clarissa. Is it Clarissa or Sabrina? Oh, Angel I think eight. it's called Sabrina. Yeah, Sabrina. But like, you know, it was kind of trying to do creepy dolls again before they were cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, I think it would fit. I think people would. I think people would make it again, basically, and still try and sell it now, twelve oh, years I, on. I mean, you're still you're getting brand new Puppet Master films as well. So yeah, it's not uh, without. It's not kind of out with the realms of possibility. I suppose that this kind of fits in well with where we're at now. I say fits in well. Um, I would argue that the other films that we've mentioned are probably marginally better, if slightly, yeah. if I would say yeah. considerably less fun. Yeah, we'll see how. I'm kind of excited about how Child's Play is going to be now that I know that Mark Hamill is Chucky. That's, yeah, yeah, that's a really cool thing. Interesting that one. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're right. If this if this was going to resurface, or if people were going to be digging around for franchise potential for Dead Silence, there's probably never been a better time. You're right. It's quite fertile ground now. I just don't know where you take this franchise because for yeah. my money, with the death of Jamie, it's over. All of it. <laughs> I'd like like if he hadn't. Oh, he kind of destroyed all the dolls, didn't he? Otherwise, you'd still have if he hadn't throwing the Molotov lamp at them, you'd still have all 101. I guess. Yeah. yeah. That would be cool. Like, if people all, like, had different ones sent to them. Like 100, <laughs> 101 little horcruxes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 101 horcruxes. It's the Disney film we never saw. And <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know you needed. Um, yeah, but over, I mean, like, I could see myself watching this again. I will 100% watch this again. I think, I think that's like, I mean... I think I've probably seen it like six or seven times now, and I still enjoyed watching it. 
I could guiltily. I could see it. <laughs> I could see it becoming like a few beers film. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely that. Yeah. Andy, any concluding comments? Just to say, it's in no way a good film, but you you're right. You can kind of see what they were coming off the back of with Saw. Coming into this one, uh, you can see the career trajectory that James Wan's about to embark on. I laughed my ass off during this, which, I, like I said earlier, I'm sure was in no way the intention. But I had an absolute ball with it. I thought it was a hoot. And that's the biggest compliment I can give it because there was a point in the middle where it does sag quite noticeably. Yeah. But I'd say those last 10, 15 minutes pick up the pace in a really kind of satisfying way and I, at the end I was just clapping my hands in glee I was all for the I'm all for that last that, that last five minutes of utter nonsense it's worth it it's so worth it for that I mean uh, the, the payoff is so rewarding <laughs> <laughs> and it shouldn't be because if you, if you look at it you're like that's fucking ridiculous but I could have easily watched another 10 minutes of that last scene like yeah more Bob Gunton puppet please <laughs> Well, I'm glad I didn't put you both through misery. That's ah. that's that makes me feel better. Yeah, far from it. Far from yeah. it. No, the only point where I really struggled was the the zigzagging back and forth from mortuary to his house to the motel, back to the theatre, and then back again. I was like, oh, just fucking, just stay there. It's going to come back in ten minutes. You'll be back there in a minute anyway. I guess for that way, it's kind of cheap, right? You've only got those three, four locations, and you're done. But yeah. then you've then you've spent yeah. an an unimaginable amount of money set decorating those places because they're 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 pushed way further yeah. than you would ever imagine that they should be. You're like, right, just pull that back just maybe forty percent. Louise, before we wrap up, anything you are working on, anything you want to talk about? Well I hear congratulations are in order, Louise, in so much as you've been nominated for a video yeah. game journalism award. Yeah, I was nominated for the Games Industry Biz Top 100 Women in Games, which was very nice. It's nice. lovely to be, I think the fact the games industry in the UK, it was out of devs and PR and journalism and videos and stuff. So it was really nice to be, um, it was really nice to be nominated by humans for that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. It's a healthy industry in the UK, and, but it is still quite uh, male dominated. But it's, it's nice yeah. to be able to sort of celebrate a little bit of uh, what we do, which was cool. But thank you. And thank you for having me, guys. It's really fun to talk about horror oh, with you. Yeah, thank you for coming on and doing it. And always lovely to hear a Scottish voice. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> we infiltrate. Yeah, yeah. I like it when I infiltrate the evolution of horror podcast. It's always quite fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, obviously we had Mike on our show as well. And yeah, so. Yeah, his defense of urban legend. Yeah. I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. Louise, where can people keep up with you um, on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am shiny underscore demon because 17-year-old me never thought liking Tenacious D would mean that I had to justify this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you, know, you, you, can, you kind of get your Clark Kent one, don't you, for business? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with a wee spectacle emoji at the end of it, yeah. just to be classic. <laughs> Louise, thanks so much for taking time to do this. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Nope. Louise, thank, thank you, you so much. And yeah, I will 100% watch this film again. I had a ball. <laughs> thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you. So I think Louise wavering a little bit there towards the end. Yeah, and actually, maybe rightly. Yeah. But this is a film, one of the, the very few films that wins me around in a way I didn't quite expect because by the halfway point, I was starting to get really pissed off with it mm -hmm. um, but it really does kind of come back round in such a nonsense fashion I couldn't help but be enamoured by the gall of it <laughs> I would 100% recommend people watch this oh yeah I think you should and, uh, if you're if you're in any way a kind of James Wan completist or if you've liked this 
stuff, the like the Conjuring or the Conjuring Two or any of that subsequent universe that sprung out from that. Yeah. Um, watch this because I would say that it's better than pretty much all of the Conjuring offshoots. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. No, I'd be inclined to agree with that. And, and it is a little bit of a kind of overlooked middle child in this terms of the stuff that he's done. Oh, I. And it's definitely mm. worth making time for, especially I think if you like the kind of thing that we talk about on this show. There are decisions in this film that are absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Characters do and say things that no other characters would ever do or say. It's a wild time. It is. But those last ten minutes, man, either fucking great. Yeah. It's it's just it it's preposterous on such a grand scale that it's really difficult to not be kind of charmed by it. Oh I. The minute I saw that Bob Gunton was a puppet, <laughs> I was like, too little, too late film. But my god, do I applaud it. Yeah. <laughs> like Absolutely. That's um, pretty much how I felt as well. Yeah. Um but we are once again done. Good lord. Yeah. And uh, I tell you what, go on. I know I said it on the mini-sode, but I would love to do more Killer Doll films, so if anyone that we've spoken to about being a guest or anyone who's entertaining the notion of potentially being a guest wants to bring on any more Killer Doll films, please do so, because I'm all for that. Yeah, same. Pretty into it. <laughs> um, you want to get in touch with any comments or feedback? Loads of ways you can do that, of course. Facebook and Instagram, we are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC or email scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and as I've said every single episode since we started this, Mitch, mm-hmm. there's loads of places you can listen to us. Is that a fact? Yeah, there are. Care to listen? some? You know I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Acast, TuneIn, and of course, our home at Podbean. Thanks very much to them for yeah. hosting us. Yeah, and they thank- are lovely, they by are. the way. They are just nice. Nice Just people. nice people doing good work. Yeah, big thanks to them and big thanks to you for listening as well. Also, nice people doing good work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, whatever you're listening, if you could um, find it in your hearts to uh, drop us a rate, a review, subscribe, all that, that kind of smashing. thing. Yeah, keep spreading the word. But over and above anything else, please do just keep listening because we do like doing this and we don't like talking to ourselves. <laughs> That's true. Oh, by the way, mm-hmm. I would also not be averse to uh, like hordes of little monsters, maybe something like Munchie or The Gate. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. Right, okay. Just <laughs> <laughs> trying to exert a little bit of influence over our incumbent guests. Very good. <laughs> We will be back on Monday for another mini-sode. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, beware the stare of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls. And if you see her in your dreams, be sure to never, ever scream. Goodbye. Goodbye! You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.